everyone. Thank you so much for joining the Behind Company Lines podcast. Today we have Michael Zhao, founder and CEO at Yellowbird, uses matchmaking technology to connect the right people in the right location with the right experience for the job. Michael, so excited to chat with you and learn about not only what you're doing at Yellowbird, but your journey as an entrepreneur and also the companies that you've been a part of and that you've touched as, as an investor as well. It's so exciting to chat with somebody with a wealth of knowledge to really not only kind of unpack the experience of the founder and, and this in tech in particular, but also what you see in the market. So before we get into all that good stuff, what were you doing before you started Yellowbird? Yeah. Well, first, thanks, Julian. This is, I'm excited to be here. I really am. Before Yellowbird... It's hard to believe there was a before Yellowbird, but we're only three, three and a half years old now. But before Yellowbird, I was in the satellite communications world. So we were dealing in, uh, it sounds really egg-heady stuff, but basically geostationary satellites. What it really means is in the satellite business, you're beaming up and you're landing data from one location to another. And you can think of it from a, from a use case scenario, kind of like you do your direct TV or your TV uh, signal, except it's bi-directional. And I did that for about 15 years. So it was, uh, it was a good business, enjoyed every bit of it, but I'm, I'm happy to be doing what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. And what was the transition? You're, you're focusing on satellite technology, but now you're running a company that helps people in, in job and job and connecting the two kind of marketplaces. What, in, what got you into a two-sided marketplace model from, from a product sense? So... Specifically, what Yellowbird does is we focus on environmental health and safety professionals. Mm -hmm. And so we're not just matching just anybody, but really it's educated professionals that are focused on the environmental health and safety. So you can think of folks like the OSHA people or EPA, a lot of folks that need training and safety and things to that effect. What I was doing is I was doing satellite in a lot of high consequence industries. So it was a lot of areas that had, unfortunately, deaths and injuries. And so we would be selling services to help people call 911 or get help if something yeah. bad happened. And so you kind of, you know, my friends used to call me a storm chaser because we used to do a whole lot of work after hur hurricanes and things yeah. like that. It's a natural segue into doing this. I love the, pe the people aspect of technology. I was literally dealing 22,000 miles in the sky most of the time. And I like now what we do is match people to needs. And so yeah. that's... That got me there. And then I really liked the Uber model of the world, but I didn't particularly like the income of the Uber model of the world. Yeah. Uh, so Yellowbird has a lot of the same aspect of the Uber or Grubhubs or two-sided marketplace features, but you can actually leverage people's skills and then they make a very good wage doing what yeah. we do. So that was yeah. amazing. Yeah. And in particular, what was the incumbent before that? Was it just pen and paper? Was it like, you know, work sh or spreadsheets and databases? Like what, what was it before? Oh, it? Really? Yeah, you, you nailed it. You nailed it. I mean, it, it, there wasn't one way and there's still, you know, as much as I like to say, we're changing the world of, of EHS labor, there still isn't one way. I'd love to say that Yellowbird was the only way people were doing it, but we are not quite there yet. Yeah. The, the reality is, is that there's 50 ways of accomplishing the same objective, but none of them are all encompassing and none of them tech enabled. Yeah. So you'd have individuals that were on your team that were responsible for safety. That happens a lot, especially in small business where you have the general manager who's also the HR person, who's also the mm -hmm. coffee buyer and is also the safety manager, yeah. right? And then 
you get into bigger organizations and they'll have a safety department, but then they have you know 30 or 50 locations mm-hmm. or 100 locations or 500 locations. Mm-hmm. And now they're dealing with outsourcing to independent contractors all across the country to try and execute. And it's really clunky. Yeah. So like the vision initially, and we've changed, not changed materially, but originally it was, okay, who used to do this and is retiring? Yeah. And if they're retired... Well, maybe they'd stay engaged if we could put them on a platform to let them go out and do this type of work. It's kind of a continuing your career on your terms. Yeah. Now we have people from all ilks of life, and we have over 5,000 people on the platform already and, and growing yeah. fast. Yeah. One thing I find is so fascinating, running a two-side marketplace myself, is the, the qualifying part because that you know, is such a critical and, and piece to, to the success of both sides, right? In taking quality people and then helping those quality people get hired and, and then create that kind of continuous cycle. How do you think about the qualification process and what kind of testing have you done to really hone in? Not only do they have the, the credentials, but they also are someone who, who you know, is a good actor or will kind of complete the task at hand. Yeah, I could tell you run a marketplace because you're asking a perfect marketplace quest. Yes, it's the hardest thing that we do. Yeah, it's. I always say, you know, we deal with insurance companies and 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 law firms and big contractors and all this stuff, and they ask the same question: How do you know what your professionals do? the The easy answer is, is we do background checks. We go and check their certifications that they upload. We validate you know, some of the data that they've given us through our third party validation. But the hardest part of what we do, I think you actually contend with too, which is how do you represent a human being appropriately? And how do you find each person's superpower, right? Like you could have three people have the same certification, the same city. One happens to be of Hispanic descent. The other person happens to be uh, somebody who is from just middle America and a third person is from Indian descent and they all have different walks of life. They've all worked in different environments. They've all done different things. And so their certification is exactly the same, but which one's going to be the best person? I just use their ethnicity and their background, but we also look at where they've worked and what they've done and what their experience is. Indexing all of that is actually the hardest thing we do by far. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, it's interesting just like defining the index, but in terms of, I think the think cultural background is extremely important, especially for what community or, or what individuals kind of serve and how much of what you're doing has a human layer to it being that there has to be kind of some, I guess, an intuitive decision-making a part of this process. How do you, right. how do you really kind of, kind of add resources, track resources, that component? Because for me, that, that's kind of the hardest part is, how much time do we have somebody allocated to going through this process and, and making that intuitive yeah. decision-making, which is, I think it, it's harder to index that kind of stuff. Well, not to plug your business, but I'll tell you what, in the development side of the house and using developers that use native language processing and that yeah. can use um, data indexing in the best way. And our needs as a platform change significantly. I said the hardest thing we do is actually to identify the superpowers of our professionals. And I say that a lot, and that's very true. But honestly, the hardest thing we do is actually the thing that everybody does, which is coordination of time and calendars and syncing up the when and where and how of somebody's efforts. 
And I, it should be so easy in the world we live in between all of these restaurant and grub hubs and Ubers and all these other scheduling things. And yet we spend more time than I've cared to admit brute forcing the scheduling aspect of Yellow Bird. <laughs> and yeah. It's, yeah. it's crazy because it should yeah. be it should be the easiest thing that we do, but yeah. it's not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that layer, like the coordination piece, is difficult. But I mean, if you find a solution for it, let me know because I, I think that's something we, we spend a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. But it's such a necessary part of the business. I think you're thinking about. I know you've been a part of a few startups, and and you've also invested and been an advisor and, and been around the community for a while. What are what are good companies doing, and, and where are where are founders kind of missing in that process or needing to take on say the learning curve when building a company? Because I think. I think that's kind of the biggest component is the foundational piece and not skipping any steps because it oftentimes either causes technical debt or, or comes back to bite you in some way. What are some companies that you've seen doing exceptionally well that should be replicated and where do other founders kind of miss in the foundational building of, of their startup? Oh, it's such an interesting question. Um, I use a term, I actually used it a little while ago with, with somebody that I was meeting with, the, the saying that what gets you here won't always get you there. Yeah. And I use that term a lot, and it sounds really simple and, and kitschy, but what we needed three years ago and what we needed two years ago and what we need today are very different. Yeah. In fact, the pe- we've, we've had people leave. We've had people join that would not have done well when we were three people in a goat. You know, we were tr- we were doing things so manually, trying to figure out if even there was product market fit, and if somebody was going to buy this service, and was it viable? And mm-hmm. if it was viable in Phoenix, would it be viable in Indiana? Mm-hmm. Would it be viable in New York City? COVID hit, so we learned a ton through that process. I would say the best executives or best startup people that I know embrace the fact that progress is better than perfection and making sure that that you're making progress in the right direction you know i i i kind of liken it to when you're teaching a kid and i don't know if you've ever been around and you don't have kids julian but uh, when you're teaching a kid to ride a bike when they first start riding they're kind of going weaving back and forth almost falling off and you're like you're doing it but the reality is they're not doing it very well yeah. <laughs> they're just yeah. doing it right i mean right. Like they're right. almost gonna fall off they're almost gonna crash but and but you're so excited that they're on two wheels yeah. right and that's kind of what being in a startup is like it's it's okay my goal for today is just not to crash my goal today is not to be on the tour de france so it's just mm-hmm. to be going the right direction and hopefully when the wheels stop you can put your foot down before you fall off the bike yeah. right and yeah. then two years later well now you no know, maybe i'm doing a little bit better at, now my goal is not to have balance now my goal is build some some other skills around the bicycle and so forth and so yeah. i would say not raised not being so focused on any one thing as weird as that sounds, because you're going to drive yourself crazy. It's whack-a-mole. It's yeah. totally whack-a-mole. Yeah. You think, okay, this is the thing that's stopping me from being successful. I'm going to focus mm-hmm. on that. And then you figure that out. And then this is the thing that's going to stop me from being successful. And you're being incrementally more successful the whole time. Mm-hmm. And that's what I've learned. I've done this three times. And each time, it's like having a kid, you forget you forgot how, how difficult it was in the yeah. early stages, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the same thing with business, right? You just right. 
Do one foot in front of the other. Yeah. Yeah. I, it, it's fascinating, especially because you know, I think if I, sounds like you know, the way kind of your model works and, and maybe similar to, to the model we run, whereas you know, the majority of whatever's build is going to be for those you know, workers, right? And, and then you obviously kind of take maybe a cut or maybe there's a percentage, there's a fee or whatever, but it's it's a long-term game if you, if you run the model in that way versus when it's a gig economy model, I think you can have a little bit more hyper growth because of, of you know, how you kind of play with the economics of it. But you know, as we've seen in the more recent years, becoming more and more under fire and criticized because of, of, of the lack of benefits towards the, the workers component, right? The, the supply. Yeah. But so, what, yeah, but I, I, my question to you is, how do you get through the challenge of waiting and being patient for that long-term, I guess, payout later on once, once things have built? Because it's a hard process. It takes time. It, what kind of keeps you motivated? What decisions are you, micro decisions are you making to stay on course while you're waiting for that large pool to build up? And is there anything that you've seen be, successful during that time period to kind of incrementally increase you know, in terms of that pool of, of operating capital? Wow, you have, you've asked a lot of questions in one question there. Um, <laughs> no, no, no. I love it. I love it. I don't mind at all. This is enjoyable for me. I, I like talking about the journey and hopefully I can give some insights. First of all, I'm still figuring it out. Let's yeah. be honest. We just closed, we just closed our seed round. Technically we're not closed, but we're committed. We're over, we're over committed on our seed round. We've just raised $5 million where we are now overcommitted to just over six. So it's an exciting time, yeah. but you know, candidly, there have been moments over the last couple of years that I was not sure how we were going to survive just from a capital perspective. Yeah. It's hard yeah. to cash flow a business like this. Yeah. It's you expect but when you win a big award. And I guess the first statement you asked me about the capital. So reality is, is that you're always on the edge of your skis the first few years in business. It's just the way it's going to be. You have to kind of accept that as we're going to figure this out. I have a mantra. You're like, we're going to figure this out. We, we're doing the great things. We're, right. we're going to come up with a way. And as long as you have that mindset and just honestly, just not throwing in the towel is probably the most important piece of all of it. Um, yeah. There have been times that I've had to borrow from my 401k. There have been times that I have had to go to an investor that I'd already put the amount that they would need to put would put in and say, look, I've got payroll and, and I've got checks coming in, but I need a gap. The hardest thing with a technology company like ours, both of ours, is you don't have any assets to leverage with a bank. So you can't get a line of credit. Yeah. And if you're growing as fast as some companies do grow, and mine is one of them, I'm very blessed to say that, we can outgrow our cash. Yeah. And that's scary as I'll get out because you're like, oh my God, I'm going to be so successful. I'm going to run out of money. Yeah. And you know, that's, a, it's a real thing. Yeah. It's a real thing. It's, it's actually, I never, when, when I was younger, I never actually thought that was a thing. Oh, well, if you're, if you're generating enough business, there's always money available. No, nope, not always. I yeah. mean, really it's, so I guess the first, the first piece of the equation is just always have the mindset of I'm going to figure it out and work with people as well as you can and be open and honest and truthful. And you don't have to tell stories to get people to be patient with you. The other piece of the equation is, and I actually was in the same conversation as earlier that I was talking to this lady in, in our office here. I was saying that it's really, really challenging when you have the wrong people, mm -hmm. which we all will at some point have the wrong people. It's, mm -hmm. If you're running a business, it, it happens. How long do you try to make them the right person 
or when do you say, okay, this is not working and I need to make a change? Yeah. And I am notorious for waiting too long. I am notorious in trying to figure out how that's going to figure out working. And I guess the greatest advice that I can give anybody is know the benchmarks of whether you're being successful or not. It's so hard in the middle of this journey to actually stop and take a breath and say, okay, from where I started to where I am to where I'm going to where I want to be, can I see that I'm making real progress? Yeah. Not the I'm going to lie to myself because I'm working hard. Because working hard means nothing. We all yeah. work hard. Yeah. Everybody works hard. Yeah. You know, it's, I am I getting the results? Right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I've had to do that a couple of times with my wife and say, look, this is working. And stick with us, please. I need your support. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I know I took an eighty percent pay cut to do this. Don't yeah. remind me again. Right? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I guess that's you know, that's something that I think I've asked a couple of founders about. But you know, I, outside of your co-founder relationships or, or even mm -hmm. relationships with your team, how do you get your team in line? And and what kind of conversations are you having, or, or what kind of system do you have with them? You to to have them on your side and be that support network for, for me, at least it's communication and, and it's really being honest about where things are. What have you seen that's been successful for other founders who are navigating those, those decisions of like, yeah, I'm, I'm taking a pay cut, but not only is this something worth investing time in, it's, it, it, it's going to be paying dividends in larger amounts and, and, and freedom and, and ability and connections and network and things you can't al always quantify. Right. Oh, it's what that's such an important and difficult question. I married a wonderful woman who is risk averse. She does not like the entrepreneurial journey. She does not like the risk taking that of who I am. We are very much opposite in so many ways. Our values are the same. Our, our love for our children and love for our life and journey is the same, but Honestly, there's been times, and I've actually said this to her, you should have married an accountant. You should have somebody who goes to work nine to five, makes a paycheck. And she actually would have probably been happier at times if she did, if I'm being honest. But, you know, she's exactly the opposite of me in many, many ways. And, and it's not a bad thing. She keeps the house in order, but I also have to listen when, okay, it's becoming too much. Yeah. Um, you know, I sold, I sold, I had a very, um, very fortunate, and I, and I do acknowledge that. I've had successes and failures, but I'm very fortunate that I have had money and capital to do this with. Not yeah. enough to, that I could sustain us now, but early on, if I needed a few months, I could I could afford it. And, sure. And but still, we hit a point where she said, "Look, this big house is costing us a lot of money, and you're not making the money that you were." And we so we sold a a nice, fancy, beautiful home. Yeah. And we bought a smaller home, and we paid for it. And we don't have a big, we don't have a mortgage and we, and we, and the whole family, I, well, the way I say it is the whole family had to sacrifice. My family loves our house. They actually like it more than our last house. So right. maybe my ego, maybe my ego had to sacrifice if I'm being honest with myself, but it is one of those things that she, she said, look, if you're going to do this, we have to make a change because yeah. we have an $800 water bill. Yeah, and yeah. she goes. She, I live in Arizona. Don't yeah, be surprised yeah, yeah. By that. But and and we had you know lots of air conditioners. I live in Arizona, right? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. The power. And we, she told, she basically said, "Look, if you're going to do this, then we need to make some changes." And I had to be willing to listen. 
and yeah. um, and stay married, which is always nice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah it, it, those conversations are so key, I think, in in terms of just like not only setting expectations, but also clearing your mind as a founder and, and, and having your house in order a lot of times. But I guess in, in the ups and downs and of business, especially with, I think, of two-sided marketplace, especially with people, it's difficult when, when dealing with economic circumstances. And I guess, yes. how do you kind of think about operating your business model through just external pressures being around the corner, mm-hmm. on, honestly, every which way? And even within my sector, it, it's, oh, yeah. there's a lot of people, there's a lot of jobs, but there's a lot of risk averseness in terms of hiring it and doing these. So how do you kind of operate at that model? Or how do you think about operating when working with external factors? So Yelbert, essentially, if you look at what we do for a living, we talk to people who are running complex risk and safety and environmental situations. So if you're a construction company and you're going, I'm working on a bid. And if I win this bid and it's 100 miles from where my headquarters is, I'm going to need to get subcontractors to do all these various things. I'm going to need a safety manager on site because one, it's the law, but two, I need to make sure that people are all safe. Right. Right. And in that circumstance, our model is about surge demand. Now I don't call it that. And I, and I probably have some people in my company that would throw a shoe at me right now for (laughs) even making that statement. But reality is, is that what we're really great at is the right people at the right location with the right skills. Yeah. Now, Again, I've just raised a bunch of venture capital, so I'm used to venture capital type of questions. They're like, well, what is your what is your average professional make for income? I mean, can they do this full time yet? And the honest answer is no, they can't do this full time yet. We have some people making full time wages. Uh, we've got people who are making six figures with us, but the vast majority have other jobs. They're doing this as ancillary income. They're going and doing site surveys. They're going and doing a, a safety training of some sort. They're um, helping execute a large program, say a hundred sites in a hundred locations, they'll go and be five of those sites. And we have a bunch of people doing that. But the quick answer to your, to your question is I look at it as if I'm offering enough value through the equation, through the cycles, people are going to stick with us. And I can't set the wrong expectation. If I went to every pro and said, you sign up on our platform and I'm going to give you full-time wages immediately. I would have 5,000, maybe 4,995 angry people. <laughs> and there were five that are like, yep, you did it. But the rest of them are pretty ticked off at me, right? right, right. So you have to kind of set your expectations correctly. It's like, look, our platform is really great for gig and for surge needs. And we hope to get there that you can make the choice if you want to do this full time. Mm-hmm. But even on the low wage stuff like Ubers and, and again, our average, our average person makes like 75, 80 bucks an hour. I mean, they're not low wage and some of our jobs can be weeks. Some could be days, it could be hours, but most are, you know, between two and two and five days. That being said, that's a good income, but I don't want to set the expectation that you're going to be able to live on yellow bird yet. Um, And I think that's actually where Uber kind of went sideways Mm. is people start doing it full time. And then they start realizing that they're not making enough to do it full time. And then they got ticked off at Uber. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Wasn't really designed for that, but okay, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, yeah. They can, the expectation setting, I think, is something that marketplaces will live and die on. Without that honest transparency, people are able to make their own decisions. And, and if you're not acknowledging that through the way you set it up, you, you obviously end up with situations where people are, are upset or disgruntled by 
circumstance. Think, thinking about the, the last few years and even last year, tell us a little bit about the progress, the traction. What are you excited about in terms of the, the current outcomes? But what are you excited about the next year in terms of features or, or that you might be adding, maybe initiatives that you're doing? Tell us a little bit about the traction and what you're excited about. Oh, I'm, I'm in such an exciting place right now. I can start to dream again. You no, know, when you're raising capital and you're, you know, you're burning capital, and so you're always kind of worried about the next, yeah. you know, next three to five months. You're not thinking about the next two to five years. And we're now at that point where I can start imagining again a little bit about yeah. you know, starting to execute, which is very, it's it's my happy place as just a human being. Yeah. Again, what we do right now is a relatively rudimentary, but it's a very difficult thing to do, which is right people with the right skills. What we don't do is the right personalities mm -hmm. and the right backgrounds per se. So the personality aspect of what's your secret sauce in your personality, where are you really shining and thriving? Mm -hmm. It's the hardest thing in a gig economy, right? Mm -hmm. I hate to keep using the, the ride share examples, but you know, they added that button of silent please because there were a lot of drivers that were talking the ear off of their riders. They're like, dude, I just want to go to the market. Don't talk. Don't talk to me, right? And that was a learning. They had to have gotten that feedback from people. You know, you were getting one star and they were asking, why are you giving me one star? It's because he talked my ear off. Yeah. You know, and then they, over time, added the silent please or prefer, you know, whatever it happens to be, right? So where we're going as a company is we're going to work on personality matching, not just skills and locations and geography. We're going to focus on AI matching where we're taking data points off of your your resume, your LinkedIn, your your profile that we've built internally. And we're gonna use the if then statement. So if if you are like this other pro who's been successful in this scenario, then you will be a good match in this scenario. Yeah. And we're gonna build more AI around that or machine learning around that. I'm super excited about that. And then upskilling. I'm very excited about upskilling. I mentioned firefighters earlier. Yeah. I think I mentioned firefighters earlier. No, I didn't. I was talking to somebody else. So, <laughs> sorry, yeah, you <laughs> so I was talking to somebody earlier and I said, we do a lot of fire analysis for, for insurance companies, going in and making sure that they're, fire, they're up to fire codes and things like that. And retired and active firefighters actually are on our platform for that. Well, those people theoretically could be upskilled to also do hazardous materials management. Mm. I know it sounds dorky, but that's a real thing. Like. You, when you're dealing with steel plating or chroming or any type of manufacturing, industrial manufacturing, uh, and you're dealing with chemicals, you know, who better to do that than maybe an ex-fireman who has been around that kind of stuff, but maybe they're not trained on what it, what that looks like. Yeah. So if we can upskill those people, I'm super excited about that because you can open the doors for where they didn't even think they had income opportunities. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. The, the upskilling part, I think, is where a lot of time and investment can go to. And, and but it's the hard it's a hard part because it does take a lot of resources to kind of attack that and and, and do it in a way that benefits not only the the, the workers but also you know, the opportunities that they'll be able to have access to. What's the you know, thinking about where where Yellowbird is today? What are some of the biggest challenges that you face? I don't know if you have ever done the Jim Collins books, but. You know, right people in the right chairs doing the right jobs, or as he says, the, the right behinds on the bus and the wrong behinds off the bus. Yeah. Making sure that you have the right people with, with the right vision to execute. I still worry about that constantly. Are we are we spending our resources in the right areas? Yeah, yeah. 
And if everything goes well, what's the long-term vision? <coughs> what a great question. The quick answer is, I don't know. Yeah. Now, that's not the VC answer. Yeah. The venture capital community wants to say we're going to exit in three to five years and we're going to get acquired by a insurance company or by a consulting company or by a large contract, large contractor of some sort. Those could all very well happen. Yeah. We're growing at such a rapid rate that it's pretty exciting and we will have those options. There is also the option of continuing to grow and see what things look like in three to five years. If we, you know, when we get to 100 million in revenue, you get to really ask yourselves, what do we want to do? Yeah, I'm not married to my companies anymore. I, I, I'm okay with I'm okay with whatever route works best for the company as long as we're being successful. Yeah, we're having fun. I will get offers to be acquired. I already know that. Yeah, I'm not sure when that will happen and yeah. whether or not we'll want to take it. But that's that's the. It, that's the reason we all do this, right? At the right. end of the day, take care of our family, take care of each other and have a good time. Yeah. And yeah. I'm still having a good time. And most of the time, my family's tolerating it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And and I know we're, I always like to, to go through this section really quickly, but I called the founder FAQ. So I'm going to ask you some rapid fire questions and we'll see what sure. we get. What's the hardest part about your job today? Staying out of the way of other people doing their jobs. Yeah, that's a good one. What? How, how do you maintain culture in a, in a in a remote? And it sounds like you have some in office, but how do you maintain culture? What what structural things would you advise other founders implement? All right. So so our cultural values are be awesome, lifelong learning, own it, authenticity, and be spicy. And those values as a company, although they sound really quirky and weird. We have we live up to those. We have a good time here. I mean, we have spicy Mondays. We call them. It started on Zoom, yeah. where during COVID we all would have a theme. We had you know Sesame Street theme, or we had Hawaiian shirt theme, or favorite hat theme. You yeah, know, yeah, just to keep it fun. We've done a good job. We really have, but it's hard. It's really really hard, especially with as we have some remote, some in. <laughs> I say in office, but even our in office people aren't in office every day. Yeah, the whole culture of of go waking up and working nine to five five days a week, <laughs> seven days a week. Yeah, that's a CEO. That's you. <laughs> seven days a week if you don't want to work the eighth day. No, no, five days a week being in the office all the time. It just doesn't it doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. And so well, I'm 47 years old. I've been around a long time, and I'm kind of the elder statesman in the group nowadays. And I have to kind of get used to how to maintain that culture and listen to the team and you know, focus on output and not hours, mm -hmm. yeah. um, which is the most important thing that any of us can do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Know? Yeah. And measuring and measuring output is hard. Yeah. For other founders out there, what, what advice would you give them in terms of hiring the right people? Where do you go? How do you vet them? What do you do as team is so critical from going to zero to one and even one to 10? I, it's, I'm going to sound like a total cliche, but I'm going to say it anyways. Make sure that you're honest with yourself about where you are weak. Yeah. Nobody is strong everywhere. And I am not the greatest detail person. I am not the greatest at keeping a, a solid calendar. I am not, I'm not a great operator. I have, I brought in a co-founder just six months after starting the company and she is all those things. She's yeah. an operator. She's a detailed person. She has a memory, like a, 
like an elephant, man. Yeah. She can remember the names of people she interviewed three years ago that are pros on our platform. I mean, it's it's insane. Yeah. Know where you're where you're weakest and where you're most vulnerable and hire those areas first. And you should be okay because and that's gonna change. Yeah. It's gonna change. So sometimes you think to yourself, well, I can do this for now because it's not as important. I will also tell you that having an accountant that you trust is really, really important. Yeah. Um, and it's not from a theft perspective. It's from a being honest with you perspective because most entrepreneurs will out will outspend themselves into a bad spot. Yeah. Yeah. That's like, true. Yeah. You get a little bit you get a little bit of money and you hire six people and you're like, whoa, that's not smart. Probably should have just hired two. <laughs> See how it went and hire one more, but you like get yeah. well, I need this person, I need this person, I need this person. We're gonna be good for six months, so we're good. And it's like, okay, six months comes pretty fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now you're under the gun of what am I gonna do, right? Right. And so that's uh, that's part of the of the journey. Yeah. Of, yeah. You know, and and honestly, not another total cliche, but find mentors. Yeah. I have so many great mentors. I have so many people that I um, that I can call on and just say, "All right, I'm freaking out here. We we just got this opportunity, or we just lot, or I hired somebody and and I got over my skis and." I don't have enough money to pay everybody that I've hired. I mean, because that was a problem four years ago, three years ago. Yeah. And when you're early stage, it happens. It's like, okay, you know, you're banking on this deal that you know is going to come in. Yeah. No, it's going to happen. So I got to get ahead of this. So I have the people I need. And so you hire before you win. And it happens a lot. I've learned that lesson. <laughs> you don't hire until you yeah. win. <laughs> yeah. 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 I like the mentor piece. I, I think that goes under... Not undervalued, but it, it is it is kind of the the hack in a lot of, of of companies to be able to in a lot of founder journeys to be able to lean on people who've done it before or have an insight that uh, or even just could extract you from the moment to have you see kind of a grander view. Men mentors are definitely key. I know we're coming to the close close of the episode, but before we do, one last yep. question: What books or people, whether it was early in your career or now, have influenced you the most? Oh wow, wow, wow! Well, I mentioned Jim Collins, good to great is a great book. I love listening to podcasts. I'm a big podcast fan. So um, I should have had notes in front of me on the podcasts and books that I that I listen to. Uh, Adam Grant. Thank you. It came taken for granted is a big I'm a big fan of Adam Grant's. Yeah, I'm also a big fan of there's a new book that I've just finished and I've been reading and I've been listening to it. So I'm actually just going to pull it up here. It's called uh, Speaking Peace. Mm -hmm. uh, Speaking Peace is by Bill Rosenberg. And it was the, if you've heard of nonviolent communication, yeah, yeah, yeah. he wrote the nonviolent communication, but this speaking piece is actually better than the nonviolent communication, in my opinion. Yeah. And the reason for it is practical. It gives you practical lessons and it teach you, teaches you the difference between feelings and needs yeah. and, you know, how you, and when you manage people, and that even can be your kids, he uses the example of your children. It's like, I need you to clean up your room. No, you don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't need them to clean up your room. You'd like them to clean up their room. And here's the reason why. Yeah. And, but you go down this path. And when you when I ask you to do it and you don't do it, how does it make how does it make me feel? Right? Right. Yeah. I feel like you don't respect 
house. I feel like you don't respect me. I feel like you don't respect yourself. Yeah. But you go and you, you kind of dissect it because usually people use the terms, and this is why I really like this book, is they use terms that are emotionally charged. Mm-hmm. You never listen to me. You don't trust me. Yeah. I can't trust you. It's like, hold on a second. It's like, let's, let's extract let's the reasons. Yeah. Let's, yeah. Let's, like, yeah. Hold on. Why do you? Why do you feel you don't trust me? Well, I asked you to do this and you didn't do it. Yeah. Well, okay, so you're upset because I didn't do this. Let's talk about why. Yeah. But I think this book is just really, I mean, it's making me think, I don't mean to be get on a book report here, but <laughs> it's just super, I mean, I've been, yeah. as I'm driving to work, I've been like, huh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can, yeah. I can put this in practice and I'm, I'm actually dealing with some of these things in my home and work every day, so. It's, yeah. It's pretty fun. So yeah, so I would I would definitely recommend Speaking Peace, and I have a thousand books. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great place to start. And I love the communication bit because it's something we can always improve, and something I think I talk about in my personal relationships a lot now, and learn a little bit more about how to communicate the the exact kind of reason or purpose or feeling or motivation, and how much more important that is than the conclusive thought and, and moving backwards from there. It's like you're you're moving through it in a progressive way. And that's a cool that's a cool thing. I'll, I'll add that to my reading list. And I know I know we're coming close to the end of the episode, and I, I want to give you a chance to give us your plugs. So tell us where we can find you. Tell us where we can support and LinkedIn, your websites. Where can we be a part of Yellowbird and you as a founder and support? Well, anybody who wants to link in with me, I I post a fair amount and I always try to give some levels of wisdom about things I'm learning, both in health and safety as well as in life. So it's michael.zal, Z-A-L-L-E, you know, LinkedIn slash michael.zal. Our website is goyellowbird.com. It's G-O, yellowbird.com. I cannot seem to get the yellowbird.com because the guy won't sell it to me. (laughs) And I'm also fighting with yellowbird hot sauce, who's got way more money than I do. So I'm never going to get so goyellowbird.com is going to be where I'm stuck forever. And if anybody has ideas or interests or things that they want to talk to me about, feel free to DM me. I try to respond to my direct messages as long as I'm not getting pitched. I do get pitched a fair amount, and I'm happy to give guidance and mentorship to anybody who's interested. But it's it's becoming a problem on LinkedIn where, you know, of my 50 messages a day, three of them were people who actually, actually want to talk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, Michael, it's been such a pleasure having you on the show and going through your journey and what you're working on at, at Yellowbird and all the wisdom that you shared. I, I appreciate it and I know our audience will. So thank you again for being on the show and, and I hope you enjoyed yourself on Behind Company Lines. Hey, I loved it, man. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Of course.